Hey there. Have you ever thought to yourself, I really like hockey and I'd love a show to listen to, but I also don't have enough nonsense in my life and questionable opinions. Ha, <laughs> I got the show for you, bud. And there's some really, really thirsty person in that group, okay? That will be like, I'll give you $7 for that lemonade. And the $2 person is like, whoa, okay, walking away. That person's crazy. That is exactly what happens in free agency all the time. And that is a really good metaphor. And if you don't appreciate it, put the phone down and get out of here. We don't want you around. You can't say, hey, you tripped this guy, but also he dove. Well, if he dove, I didn't trip him. If you're a goalie, just, you know, chill. You don't have to do as much as you think you need to do. But also we talk about hockey. So go check out Siren Sounder, a Canes podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes every Monday and after every playoff game during the playoffs. Let's go Canes! I'm Corey Crenshaw. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back in Sporty Nation. Your Arizona Coyotes have a win under their belt. It was definitely not in the game that I thought they would have, but um, they the series is now two to one. We are recording this on um, Sunday night and will be released on Monday. So um, we, you know, we've had some time, a little bit of time to breathe after last game, which was nice because of a back to back. But before we get into that. I would love to introduce my amazing and wonderful host, co-host as always, Richie Suave Flores. How you doing? Hello, Corey. I'm I'm a very happy man, other than the fact that my headphones are hot garbage today, and I can they're uh, kind of wigging out on me. So uh, you'll have to apologize for that. But I'll have to apologize for that. But uh, I'm excited because uh, Tobias Reader is playing the best hockey of his career. Corey, he has three shorthanded goals already this postseason, which is ties an NHL record, and he's the first person to do it since 1996. So can you understand why I'm very excited? Well, Richie, I, I know you had an excitement in you so much that you made me write this down as part of my notes for this podcast, but I didn't think you would start it off like right off the bat. Oh, no, that's how excited I was. So, of course, you know, that's how I was going to start it. What else was I going to start it with? I wasn't going to... Was I don't s- know. The Coyotes won a game. This yes, I could have started with that, but we're going to spend the next thirty-five minutes talking about the Coyotes. So I, I had to nudge in something else and talk about Toby and how great he was and how great he is. Did you just sit and and scroll through photos of his smiles from when he was uh, playing here? I just watched the goal over and over again. I watched it about ten different times. It was it was a beautiful goal. Well, good for him. He uh, he deserves happiness, even though he is no longer with us. Um, I feel like someone who's talking as if it's like an ex. Like, he deserves happiness, even though we are no longer together. And, um, fun, and fun fact, do you remember who the Coyotes got in the Tobias Reader trade from Los Angeles? No. Darcy Kemper. Oh, that's funny. 
Yeah. That, yeah. People, that, people tend to forget that. Like that, that's who they traded away to get Darcy Kemper in that trade where at the time it was like, Oh, Darcy's going to be the backup to Auntie Ronta. All right. We'll see how it goes. What are we doing here? And then, Oh yeah. He comes in and he's sets the world on fire. 49 saves in game three and pretty much single-handedly keeps the coyotes in that game because um, I don't know if they deserve to really win that game three, but they somehow some way pulled it out of their ass to at least get on the board and make it a 2-1 series and at least make it interesting on Colorado. Because if Colorado would have gone up three games and nothing, series would have been over. Yeah, no, that's what – I mean, Darcy Kemper has been absolutely killing it. As you said, he uh, he tied his career high for saves in a game with 49 saves, 51 shots. He previously made 49 saves, 52 shots in uh, game four against Nashville – so he uh, and he also recorded 20 saves in the first period, which set a franchise record for the most saves in a postseason period. He surpassed the previous record of 19, which he registered in the first period of game three versus Nashville. So he's breaking his own records with how well he's playing. And it also shows how he during this postseason the Coyotes have not really been helping when it comes to um, defensive zone time because he has been seeing a lot of shots and he's been seeing a, he's been seeing a lot of shots early in these games as well. And that brings up an interesting point because Rick Tocca was actually asked about how he thought his team played in the third period of that game and he was asked kind of about the defensive structure and how they did in their own zone during that third period where Seemingly, they spent the entire third period in their defensive zone, basically playing rope-a-dope on the Colorado Avalanche. And here is what Rick Taga had to say after Game 3, the Game 3 win. Well, they're right. Um, But you got to be able to execute the plays, right? Um, The problem is when a guy makes a play or a block shot and we get the possession, it seems like everybody's kind of – you know, it's like they're holding their breath, like, okay, what now? And um, I just want them to be instinctual, right? Uh, somebody gets the puck, support them, want the puck, the D still joined. You got to still do that stuff. And I think sometimes, you know, when you play a highly skilled team like Colorado, um, it's not that you're scared. It's just almost like you just, you just want to stay in your spot. And I think when you stay in your spot too much, um, you're not looking at offense. You're, you're going to give them the puck a lot. They had the puck a lot. Let's face it tonight. Um, I thought we did a good job of doing our prevent defense, but we're going to have to, generate some offense and some plays um, if we're going to get back in this series because you can't just keep giving the puck and keep backing up. So, you know, the odds of you winning those games are going to decrease. And I want to follow up on that a little bit because Darcy Kemper was talking about kind of a similar similar thing where he was essentially saying that he liked what his defense was doing in front of him in terms of, and Taylor Hall mentioned this too, which is they thought they did a good job of making sure that the Colorado Avalanche were kind of held at bay in terms of the amount of space they had in the offensive zone. So essentially, Darcy Kemper, a lot of the shots he was facing were, you know, unscreened chances, and they were easy saves to make, rather than having uh, a lot more traffic like he's he's seen in the past, and and uh, and that ended up working out well for him. And it was kind of a rough period to watch, but at the end of the day, you know, if you don't give up. A goal. Uh, Darcy did see one goal there after the after Taylor after the empty netter from Taylor Hall, but you know they they managed to figure out a way and frustrate the Colorado Avalanche, which is something we talked about 
prior to the series, we talked about how the Coyotes needed to frustrate the Avalanche a lot of times, and they did that in a way in Game 3 where Colorado just couldn't figure out Darcy Kemper and the Coyotes' defense. Yeah, I think there is a lot of uh, credit to the fact of, and I'm glad that it was brought up in that, that all the shots that were blocked. I mean, when it came down to that third game, there was 27 shots blocked by the Coyotes and only eight um, from Colorado. I mean, there was a big difference in offensive time there, you know, like there was definitely a lot more shots. It was uh, 51 for Colorado to 23 for the Coyotes. So when, when you factor that in there, that makes a, a large difference, but you know, it's not like these guys aren't playing defensively in front of him and aren't laying themselves um, on the line for him, uh, especially Derek Stepan. Um, Derek Stepan has gotten quite a few zingers as of late because, uh, you know, he there's been multiple times he's had to leave, leave the ice or he was like limping around because he was taking the brute of it, which I mean, as someone who is a vet and is holding up that, um, you know, trying to represent that for all the younger guys, it's a big deal when you aren't playing a very offensive game and you're stuck in your own zone for so long. Those are the plays that you have to make and try and help out your goaltender because like at the entire storyline just keeps on being Darcy Kemper. And, and before we got on for the podcast today, I, um, I was kind of, kind of talking about the fact that you could tell that there is an actual irritation a little bit with them when uh, in post interviews and everything when they're talking about Darcy Kemper and, and how great he's been playing. And I think they've gotten to this point where, um, you know, they've acknowledged that he's the best player on the team right now and that he's doing great and that, um, you know, that he is really holding them in these games. But I think they're getting frustrated and kind of tired of bringing it up and talking about it because they want to be playing the quality of hockey that they know that they can be playing because in the second game you definitely saw that the first was a very awful look for the coyotes um even talk had mentioned how they didn't look very good in practice the day prior so it, that could be um you know some youth that was showing through that um but then you know just kind of like going through the strides instead of really taking it seriously um and the second one looked they were definitely the better team definitely should have won that game. Um, the third, they started out strong and dwindled out and started looking a lot like the first, um, instead of the second. So it, it really, it was really kind of a mixed bag in the third one. They definitely did not deserve to win that game, but I think both the Kachina bump, um, me putting back on my Lululemon pants, and um, the fact that the hockey gods realized that they should have won the game prior, um, I think that combination really helped them out in that game on top of uh, Darcy Kemper just basically standing on his head the entire game. Yeah, that, I think we, we've hit on the formula here to get Coyotes victories, which is Kachinas, Corey's Lululemon pants, which I hope you've, you washed after this podcast and you will have them on today for game number four and the Coyotes are going to be back in their Kachinas too. So 3-0 in Kachinas. I think that's the reason why they, they won those games. Like they're undefeated in those jerseys. So they should just make them full time. Even even in the away game. So like in game five, they should just bring back the old 
the old um, white Kachina jerseys too. Why not? I mean, I think they could quickly get them shipped to Canada. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. Happen. Just overnight it. Just overnight it, and uh, and use. Make sure they use USPS, the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, in that, obviously, um, if you know the news, you know why I'm I'm saying that. But and and yeah, put on the white kachinas because that's the thing. That's that's the only reason they lost game two was not because of bad luck or whatever. It was because they weren't wearing the kachinas. <laughs> I mean, two of them blatantly like went off a post and like there there's been a a whole bunch of like really bad over over the three games there's been there's been a few posts there's been um there was the 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 one that killed them in the second game which was uh the fact that the puck literally bounced off of uh Kemper's blocker and went straight at a Colorado player and he just buried it because at a wide open net because it's it was as if he like passed it to him and you know that was how they lost that game like there's been so many pieces of bad luck that them getting the luck to win that game was a big deal because it and and it's been consistent like throughout the three games that there's been weird stuff like that that keeps happening and causing um them a lot of issues. I mean, I, I even tweeted out about like the posts and I was did a really terrible post Malone joke, but um, it, it's really been some unlucky things for the Coyotes, which is actually kind of, I feel like Arizona sports in a nutshell, but I'm glad that the, uh, the Kachinas are able to, and my Lululemon pants are able to balance out that, um, weird voodoo luck that they have i don't know if like some of someone has like a voodoo doll against them but i just feel like there are these weird things that always kind of are going against them but one other thing i kind of wanted to bring up was uh speaking of things going against them um and and i would normally like say that you know it happens the other way around Uh, however I, i haven't really been seeing anything good out of the coyotes power play but the biggest thing that I've been noticing is that in these games in particular, the, uh, the refs have been calling literally everything. I'm not even sure where they're getting some of these penalties from. It's been very brutal though, to watch. Yeah. It's been that way in pretty much every single series. And I don't know what the problem is exactly with it, but I will say this. I don't like when, Fans blame referees. I think it's it's ridiculous to do that. But uh, the referees across the board in the NHL playoffs this year have been over-officiating, in my opinion, which is something they don't normally do, right? In the playoffs, they usually hang on to their whistles and they don't call anything. So it's very weird that they're doing this this far into the playoffs. I get it. In those first couple of games, sure, like you do at the beginning of the regular season, you're trying to set the tone. But at this point in the playoffs – both the, every single team's getting weak calls, right? And you can go all the way back to what was it? Was it Game One, Corey, when Derek Stepan got called for that that weak ass interference penalty, and Colorado ended up capitalizing on that power play? They are all starting to turn to a blur to me, but I think you are correct. And yeah, and that penalty, you know, more or less, it was a very weak call. But that's not why the Coyotes lost that game. But again, it, it's 
I, I don't like when referees referees do that at all. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's both sides too. In fact, we there was a an argument in the Slack about on the uh, was it the Grabner goal in this in game two where uh, uh, yes because uh, he yeah it was it, it was the Grabner goal because it was after he had gone and hit the crossbar and then after that he came. He came back later and scored. It was it was a nice redemption goal, and of course there was an argument about it afterwards. Yeah, which was really stupid. The the uh, the Colorado Avalanche uh, guys um, they commented in our Slack and were like, "Hey, where was the interference call?" And I commented back, I "Was like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Huh? I watched that play like five, six different times. You texted me about it too. I was like, huh? There, no, that wasn't even close to goaltender interference." Vinny literally just did what he does, which is go, and he did this in game three, too. He did the same exact thing, right, where he went hard to the net, stopped in the crease, Coyotes score. Oh, that's interference. It was not. Trust us. That was a good goal. It was a great play by Vinny Hanestroza. Which brings me to my next point, Corey, which is um, how the play of the Coyotes' bottom six forwards, in my opinion, over the course of these first what, seven games now with the playoffs, have really shown up, and they've made the difference. And we saw it uh, with the Brad Richardson goals, obviously, in Game 4, and uh, or excuse me, game, yeah, Game 4 of the Nashville Series and Game 3 of this Colorado Series. We've seen it with Michael Grabner stepping up, right? We've seen it with um, the play of Lawson Krause and Christian Fisher, who have come to play. And Rick Taco was asked about the play of his bottom six this postseason, and in my opinion, I'll play this and I'll explain why they're going to be such a big reason, a, a big key for the Coyotes coming up in Game Four. But Rick, talk it on the Coyotes' play in their bottom six this postseason so far. Any playoff history, playoff champions. We all say it. You you look at yeah, you look at the the Lemieux and Crosby's and Gretzky's and all the top players and. You know, these guys are phenomenal people and players, but people remember the fourth line guys or, or the guy that does the little thing. And we're getting that, you know, grabs with some big goals for us. Richie was a couple of big goals for us. You know, Vinny going to the net on the on the on the uh, uh, Richie's goal, um, you know, little things like that, um, you know, fish block and shots. You know, you have to have identity in the playoffs. Sometimes you might play 10 minutes. Sometimes you might play 12. You got to give your, you know, you're running some. That's the hard thing about it. There's a lot of power plays and penalties. Some guys might sit the bench for five minutes, six minutes. It's hard, but you got to get out there and you got to give us something. Um, those are the guys that usually are the glue guys that help you win. So, and our guys have really helped us out in those instances, especially with some key goals. And to me, that's really going to decide who wins game number four is the bottom six of both of these teams. And for the most part, the Coyotes' bottom six has outplayed Colorado's bottom six, in my opinion. The biggest difference, you know, for the Colorado, for Colorado at least, is Nathan McKinnon doing Nathan McKinnon things for the most part. But you know, I'm looking at um, some some statistics here. Cursiamoneypuck.com. Uh, they do a great job of of uh, the analytics of the game, and you take a look at game. Was I'm looking at game I'm looking at game three here, and they do a chart on expected goals, which is a, a an analy, um, just an analytic number that takes into account a bunch of different 
things and essentially puts it into one number to explain um, the amount of expected goals this particular player is going to bring to a team in any given game. And you look at the number one player for the Coyotes on in game three, it was Lawson Kraus. And Brad Richardson is there in the top four for the Coyotes as well. So is Carl Soderberg and among others. And in my opinion, that's how the Coyotes are going to win in game four is, yeah, it's it would be nice if Taylor Hall and, and Phil Kessel and you know, Connor Garland and Connor Garland had a great game in game three, by the way. I thought he played his best game in the playoffs in game three. He looked like the Connor Garland of, of old that we saw during the regular season prior to his injury. But if the Coyotes want to win game four, yes, it's Darcy Kemper in the defense, but the bottom six is going to decide this the game, I think, in my opinion. I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but uh, I, that's like Rick Tuckett said. You win in the playoffs because you have a full slate of players top line to your bot to your fourth line. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that we saw in Nashville where when we're playing Nashville especially because of the fact that you know they're they they were most dangerous on that top line. If if the Coyotes could shut down that top line, you had a bit of a comfort zone there. And that is one of the things that's nice about the Coyotes is even when they're playing poorly, uh, you usually see something that's a, a little strange. Like you, you'll see the fact that their fourth line is playing better than their first line. And it, it's just the fact that they do have that depth. That's an unexpected depth. They don't necessarily have um, the, the same top line and some of the superstars like McKinnon. Um, but I mean, Technically, the Coyotes do. They just aren't performing to uh, that level. Um, but the thing about it is when it comes down to it, the fact that those players in that fourth line, that is the least expected line, I guess you could say, when they show up, they show up big time and they make a big difference. I mean, one of the people that wasn't even expected to be here, and we brought it up before multiple times, is Grabner. And the fact that he has made such a massive difference on this team since he's decided to come, like he decided to come and be in the bubble was so huge. I mean, the man didn't even play for, he was healthy scratched for 22 um, games, regular season games this season. And so, you know, the fact that he's come in and made such a difference and he was tied with Keller, um, I think it was going into the third game or something like that. He was tied with Keller for the most goals in um, the postseason for the team. And I, that to me says a lot because of the fact that they're contributing. So those bottom lines are contributing so much when a lot of people didn't expect them to, I don't think it's in um, a lot of teams scouting reports for sure. Um, so I think definitely that will be a big thing. There's a, a lot of different things that have to happen. The Coyotes have to not be playing so back on their heels. They don't look nearly as fast as uh, Colorado does, so it, they have to find another gear within them. And they also just have to really clean things up. They're simple tape-to-tape passes, um, you know, watch for their turnovers. They're having a really hard time with their turnovers. Like, you know, if, if you – are trying to enter the zone and you keep losing the puck, you are never going to be having those offensive, those offensive opportunities that you need to win these games. So 
there's a lot of things that they need to work on. And, you know, in the way that Colorado plays is they, they play with their, their D really close in. And so they're going to be on you right away, but that's your time to get the puck deep to, and to get behind them and really start moving in that way. And it's just, if they're playing back on their heels, they will always be pounced on right away by Colorado. And that's never a way that they're going to win these games. Yeah. We, the, the blueprint is there in a game two is, is the blueprint for this team and how they need to play to, to beat Colorado. Right. It's, and what they were doing so well in that game is, is that they're like you said, their passes were on point. Their zone entries were a lot better. They were able to control entry into the zone, and they were able to you know dump the puck in deep and work over that Colorado defense, which is something that I think Colorado the Colorado defense struggles with. They're good in terms of in the neutral zone and stopping the stopping zone entries and and making you enforcing you to dump the puck in and trying to do a dump and chase type game. But once the Coyotes were able to get into the zone and set up their forecheck and get in behind the Colorado D in game two, that's when the Coyotes were successful and they were able to put up, you know, 30 plus shots on Philip Grubauer in game number two. And they just weren't able to have quite the finish that they did in, you know, in the Nashville series where they go fi- were finishing a lot of those chances that they were getting. And I wonder if, if that's the Coyotes we're going to see in, in game four, I, I don't know. How, what's going to be our calling card to figure that out if we're going to see that? Because as we've seen, they didn't come out and play a good eight minutes. Like you said, Corey, earlier in the show, they came out in that first period of game three in the first, you know, what, seven, eight minutes, and they outshot Colorado like eight to three, and they were playing really well. And and they seemingly were playing the same style. But once they got the lead and they were up one nothing, it's like they, they pulled back off of that. And, and imagine this for just a moment. I'm going to play a scenario out for you. And see if you agree with me and see if this happens. First period comes along. Coyotes play well in the first seven, eight minutes of the game, right? They uh, get a big goal from their top line. Let's say, I don't know, let's say Connor Garland gets on the scoreboard because he had such a good game three. They go up one to nothing, right? Colorado starts to tilt the ice back in their favor in the last in the second half of the first period tomorrow in, in game number four. And then the Coyotes get a power play. And then they go up two to nothing because they scored on the power play. So that's something else that is just boggling my mind is how this team isn't able to score on the power play. And it's frustrating. And my point being with that scenario is just how important it is for the Coyotes to give themselves some breathing room and somehow some way find themselves in a two-goal lead so they can Figure, figure figure out a way to kind of give themselves a little leeway and give Darcy Kemper some leeway so he doesn't have to give up so, you know, has to basically stop every puck that comes near him and, you know, pitch a shutout basically every game. Yeah, and the other thing, which 100% the power play has to convert. There's no if ands, or buts around it. I feel like that's where everyone wants to go right away is, like, talk about the power play and – and yes, like it is a big deal because that is what will give them an extra goal to give them breathing room and all this stuff. But I, one of the other things that I think is very prudent about this team that no one really ever talks about, and, it, and it's very classic Coyotes, 
is they get into these comfortable niches. Like, so if they are up, say two goals as their least fair, I mean, it's, it's usually the, the worst lead in hockey, but like they get into this comfortable zone. And you saw that at the end of the third game where once they had a breathing room goal, they let one go in literally. It was maybe like not even a minute later. I'm pretty sure. Um, and that is classic Coyotes. I, and, and it could be the fact that they just really like giving their fans heart attacks all the time. But in all reality, this team gets, and, and it could be youth, but it, there's a such a bad habit that they have. And when they have those comfortable leads, they go back on their heels again and start running through the paces and it's not, um, you know, it's not really defensive as much as it's lazy. And that's usually where they get themselves in trouble. One, Yeah, 100%. They, they can't defend all the time because it's just, they're going to, they're going to break the dam eventually. Um, and they did, they were doing too much of it in game one and Darcy Kemper bailed them out. They were doing too much in games where Darcy Kemper bailed them out. So please, just like you did in game one, Coyotes, find a way to score more it's really that that simple just find a way to create more offense and maybe they can do it if they get some momentum on the power play by scoring a power play goal like I was just talking about and uh, Taylor Hall was asked about the power play that is 0 for 9 after game 3 during this series and uh, here's what he had to say afterwards uh, no, I mean, we, we have to, we have to step up. It's, it's great that, uh, we got to win today with, with our power play playing like that. But, um, in my mind, I, I know this is probably the standard answer for every time you ask a, a, a guy, a power play question, but we just have to get more to the net, more chaos, um, more rebounds, more zone time. Um, you know, you ask a guy like step that kills penalties, anytime the puck goes to the net and there's a rebound, it's, it's chaos. So I think that's gotta be our MO, gotta be our game plan. Quick, quick aside. We'll, we'll come back to this in a minute. I know you have a story you want to get to, too. We have about 15 minutes left. But uh, I did you have you looked at your phone during the show? Uh, yes. Did you see what came across while we were recording? No. It is uh, we are finally getting a haboob alert in Phoenix. Oh, my God. I was wondering. Uh, now I'm supposed to go out and, and water my grandma's plants after this. Oh, shit. Um. But I was wondering, because it literally sounded, I almost said something, because I almost thought you could hear it through my mic. Like, it literally sounded like a hurricane was hitting my house. Yeah, so there you go. Maybe you're part of the haboob. It says right here, National Weather Service dust storm warning for this area until 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Be ready for sudden drop to zero visibility. Pull aside, stay alive, blah, 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 blah. I'm looking outside my window right now here by, I'm by Sky Harbor, and I don't see a haboob quite yet. Um, but maybe you will come. You said it's pretty windy out by you, so maybe you're getting the brunt of the haboob so far. I hope not. I didn't even get the notification. Those fuckers didn't even notify me. Wow. Yeah, I see how it is. Yeah, now, you, now, you, now you have no time to prepare for a giant wall of dust that is going to be clobbering your home in the next few minutes, and I think that's I think that's a shame. So shame on you iPhone National Weather Service emergency alert people. Unless you, tur- I, I, the worst haboob we ever had was actually on my seventeenth birthday. 
and it was bad. That one, they also didn't notify us until like we were already already driving through it. And it was like, we got the notification and then it was like, oh my gosh, there's a wall of dust. <laughs> having driven through, I'm sure you've done this too, having driven through a Haboob or two in my lifetime, um, they suck. Uh, you can't see shit in them. Uh, like, I think that was probably the scariest thing I've ever done while driving, other than being in a driving home at night with a massive, massive rainstorm, which when my windshield wipers weren't working 100% perfectly, that was scary. But driving into a dust storm when all you see is super dark clouds, that was very scary. I, that happened to me about two years ago. And uh, never want to relive it again because that it uh, scared, scared the shit out of me. So if you're listening to this on Monday, hopefully you survived the haboob-pocalypse that apparently we're undergoing as we speak here on, as we record during the show. Um, I just got a notification that the dust storms are close to i-10 south of phoenix and are and it's moving into the valley so it's not here yet i'm just getting like strong winds but it's moving into the valley it's moving into the valley okay where is it oh ooh, hey here we go i'm gonna send you a picture of this because i think i see it now <laughs> i really i'm really I, I enjoy how how far away your voice got on that yeah, it was really good. Like if you hear your excitement, like, and I could, I could just picture you walking towards the window to look at that. Yeah, I'm sending it to you right now. It's, yeah, because that wasn't there like 15 minutes ago, and yeah, there it is. I don't know which way it's going. They said it's going into the valley, so I'm in. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm by Sky Harbor, so it's I'm tough. In for... North Phoenix, so it might take a little time to get to me. So, but who knows? It could be here in like two minutes, knowing the way the boobs are. They just like catch and start like plowing through town that's a big one too Ooh, yeah like i said it, it developed super super quick so yeah take a look at that picture that's what is coming towards phoenix right now as we record so <laughs> super encouraging it's, it's okay everyone we haven't gotten a monsoon yet but we're still getting the haboobs it's fantastic Exactly. I'm uh, I'm excited because, yeah, I don't know where the monsoon's been. It's been completely gone. It's been a monsoon this year. Stupid. We want some stinking rain here in Phoenix. But uh, we got to get ready to wrap up here. Um, but you wanted to tell me a a story before we uh, we left um, left the show. What? And you were going to surprise me with it because you, you, you said, okay, I'm going to tell you during the show. So what is it? So, okay, so I had seen, uh, I brought my parents over some dinner earlier today, and my mom has um, really gotten into Coyotes hockey, like, par partially because of the fact that, you know, like, they're because of the play-ins and, like, quarantine and all that, and then um, also just because the fact that, you know, that I do this, she wanted to kind of, like, get to know the sport a little bit better, so... Um, I mean, my mom comes from a background of we raced motocross and I, I played softball and volleyball. So hockey was never particularly on her radar. It was just part of my life and my friend's life. Um, so the only time she'd ever really seen games was like, you know, at, at, in the rinks around here and whenever I got her tickets to Coyotes games. And so she's like really sat down and tried to start learning the sport and really getting into it and everything. And um, I, I, I sent it to you. Even my dad was like, should I be concerned? Because she'd be sitting up straight in, in a, the chair in the living room, like staring at the TV, like nonstop. 
well, today when I came over, she go, she was like, oh, those were like, those weren't some of the best games. And, you know, I was getting a little bit worried there. The, those shots on goal were, were pretty terrible, really. And I was, I was like, yeah, I know, Mom. She goes, as I'm leaving, she's like, if you ha- need any advice for the podcast tonight, I would bring up the fact that they can't win games with that many shots on goal. That was just terrible. At one point, they were 2-1, to 3-1, to one, sometimes even 4-1. to one. That's just not a way to win a hockey game. And I like started dying laughing because she had said that. And then you had texted me that um, our amazing friend, Kat, her daughter had told you that uh, during the first game, what was it? Only seven shots on goal. That's terrible. She's three. So, um, I, I think I've officially gotten to the point where I've realized the Coyotes gameplay during um, during this time has gotten so uh, not not terrible, but, but it's gotten so bad from a simplistic level that even people who are three or just now learning the game can understand how bad it looks. Yeah. That's not a a great look for the Coyotes. But the good thing is, and we'll wrap up with this piece of audio and I want to get your I want to hear your take on it. I asked Rick Tockett after game three about this idea that we've talked about a little bit on our show prior is is that this team is so good at bouncing back after bad losses or bad games where they don't play really well. And they did that in game three. And here's what Rick Tockett had to say about how he is proud of how his team has been able to prove that they can bounce back after bad losses or, or you know, bad games. That's the one thing I got to tell you guys. I'm really proud of this team. We've had some adversity and a lot of things, you know, that maybe don't go our way. But it seems like me the next time their adversity hits the team, we play well or we win a game. It's happened, especially the last two years for, for me. Is That's the one proud of is is a bounce back after you know uh, whether it's a, a tough loss or a subpar for performance I thought you know our game two was excellent I thought we played really well this game we had a little bit of a rope dope against them but we hung in there so uh, we got to have that mentality we got to we have to we're, we're still in adversity right now we're down two to one but um, this is where you're really looking for guys to really step up their game now this game four it's, it's a huge game for us and we need people to step up for sure your thoughts when you hear Rick Tockett uh, say how proud he is of this team? Well, yeah, I think, um, first of all, I would like to point out, you're the one who asked him that question, right? Yes, I was. Which was beautiful question. That was one of the things that Richie and I were having conversations about, is I felt like a lot of the questions that um, both players and Tockett and everyone is getting asked felt very redundant. Uh, I mean, given, you know, it, it's, it's hard in these situations when things are do tend to get a little bit redundant. Um, but I think that is such a big deal. And that is something that he is hanging his hat on is the fact that this team is essentially relentless. You know, they have showed more fight in them and a no willingness to give up in so much more now than they have like all season. And I know we've always said that they, 
are, thrive on being the underdogs and that they always do their best hockey when they are stuck in these terrible situations. But normally when they hit these walls, they don't ever push through them. This is the first time that they're really, really pushing through them and um, essentially maturing as a team. And considering the fact that this team has so much maturing to do, uh, it's beautiful that, you know, he he knows it because he's in there and he gets to see it. But I'm, I wanted to, you know, give a little shout out appreciation to you for being in the media and noticing that and, and bringing that to light because I think a lot of times people don't think about the fact that, you know, a, a lot of these guys are, are either young or some essentially kids, if you're talking in Barrett Heaton's like situation. So a lot of these guys on the team, whether they're playing or not in Barrett Heaton's case, this is a lot of maturing and um, adversity that they haven't gotten to face before. So the fact that, uh, you know, Tocket is, is kind of like a, a proud dad is something I'm sure he feels every day with them because of the fact that this team is constantly counted out and knocked down all the time um, and assumed by everyone that they won't put in what needs to be done to win. But they keep on, you know, pushing through and being the team that they are now, like, their resiliency is something that's really beautiful that they, that they've grown into throughout this whole play-in and playoff um, series. Series is has there a is series like fish? Can you just say ser- multiple series? In these series, yes. In these series, okay. So yeah. it is like fish. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that was really great. That was really well said. And that's the thing that this this team's not going to quit. This team's not going to go away against these Colorado Avalanche. And the Avalanche cannot take them lightly. And before we go, quickly, the the haboob is here, folks. I am being inundated with a massive, massive haboob right now. And that's literally in the last five minutes since we've been talking. The haboob has hit. I can't see. I can usually see the tower of Sky Harbor from our window here at the Fox Sports 910 Studios. I can't anymore. It has disappeared. So the haboob is here. I'm okay. I promise. Uh, hopefully everybody out there in the sporting nation survived the haboob. Uh, until next time, next, by the way, next time is going to be episode 69. It's going to be our nicest episode of all time. Uh, I cannot wait for it. It's going to be super exciting. Um, go buy our sporty merch. You can see the link on Instagram of how to buy the sporty merch. Um, I really want to put out a get behind the D shirt. Number one, uh, you and I, Corey, came up with that idea, so we should get that going. Now, we should also come out with a Darcy, Darcy, Darcy shirt of some sort and and put that up in the sporty store. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter, all that jazz. Um, I'm Yeah, I'm going to wrap up now because this haboob is kind of freaking me out here. So uh, until next time, Sporty Nation, good night and good hockey.